Good morning, church. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Uh, We made that video for Mission Sunday. You might remember it from earlier in the year, but we wanted to show that again one more time just to get fresh in your mind pictures of who we are. Uh, The church is made up of people, and as we grow the church in Minnesota, we want you to know the people that we come in contact with and the way that Jesus is working in their lives. And of course, uh, in the outtake at the end, that is how Fisher is like every day. And this morning, so that's real life. Well, we're glad to be here to be able to share an update with you with how the work is going in St. Paul. Uh, It's been two years since we've been back here, and as you know, not a whole lot has happened, and so um, the world seems to look and be the same as it was two years ago. So obviously... Uh, That is the antithesis of reality. Yeah. So a lot of things happened. A lot of things happened. Obviously, 2020 was very difficult for not only our congregation, but I think for most churches around the country, I think also around the world. There were a lot of hard decisions that had to be made. And of course, even Aaron and I in our little house church had to make some decisions. And one of those decisions was obviously on... Uh, how do we proceed forward with meeting with each other? And when we got to thinking about the people that go to our church and the needs of those people, for our particular context, we decided for ourselves, and we didn't say this is what everybody should do, but for our group, we decided that we did need to keep on meeting exactly as we've been meeting before. Uh, There are those who go to our church who uh, have a struggle with sobriety. Uh, They go to NA, they go to AA, and when COVID hit, those shut down. NA and AA went to online only, and when your body is screaming for drugs and alcohol, virtual doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. And so the church community, that in-person gathering, was the last uh, thread holding them together. So... People needed to be together for that support, for their sobriety, for their mental stability, for their spiritual strengthening to carry them through the trials that were already there uh, pretty quickly at the doorstep. But of course, not everybody in our congregation um, wanted to keep meeting, and that's fine. We wanted to accommodate people as best as we could. The family that you saw in the video, Michael and Bethany, uh, they were hard-pressed on both sides. On the one hand, they had their immediate family that wanted them to isolate with them, uh, their extended family, that is. And then, on the other hand, they wanted to be with the church, but they didn't know what was the best choice. What was the best choice for their family? And that's been the overarching guide for us, is we only want people to do what they think is best for their family. So I remember after uh, Zooming them in for uh, three or four months, Early fall last year, Michael and I were sitting in our car uh, in the parking lot of a Home Depot, and we were talking for two or three hours, and we were talking about all kinds of things, all the information that's floating out there, contradicting information, by the way, from every side. That does not make it easy to make a decision for what's best for your family. So we prayed about it, we talked about it, and uh, Michael was trying to decide what's, what's best, what does he and Bethany think is best for their family? Should they be
be at church, should they continue virtual? And so my appeal to him was that the reason I think it's important to be together in person is for the purpose of prayer. Not that prayer doesn't work over the phone or over the computer, but that something significant does happen in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual world, when Christians gather together, because we are physical temples, living temples for the Holy Spirit. And when we come together, I imagine it in my mind as uh, individual lights coming to form a mass, which becomes a beacon and a lighthouse in a place of darkness. So I believe that it was utmost important to be together for the purpose of prayer. And he agreed, but it was still something that he had to work through. And so obviously he said, I need to be in unity with my wife on this. I'm going to go home and talk to her. So we left. And when I came home, he called me. So I got a call right away. He said, Alex, you're never going to believe what happened. As soon as I left that parking lot, I got about a mile down the road And there was a car pulled to the side with their hazard lights blinking. And so sometimes I stop for that, sometimes I don't. So I pulled over, and I decided to check on this person. I got out, and I saw that it was this young woman. And she said, oh, thank you for for pulling over. Um, Actually, I just called somebody. They're on their way to help me. However, you are the only one who has pulled over to check to see if I'm okay. And I've been here for quite a while. And she said to Michael, "Uh, you're a believer, right? You're, you're a follower of Jesus? And Michael said, yes, I, I am. And she said, yeah, I thought so. Um, you don't have to help me with my car, but before you go, would you mind praying with me? Uh, because I believe that something happens in the spiritual realm when we pray together in person, and that getting together for the purpose of prayer is going to be very significant in this time and the, the time that is coming. And Michael said, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> Because that's word for word what my preacher and I just talked about in the car five minutes ago. And so he went home and told his wife that story. And his wife said, wow, like, you know, how can we not see God's providential hand in this? Of course, some people might call that coincidence, and that's fine. But I call that divine providence. And I think that God works that way in our lives. I think he works that way right now in our church, in your church, in the body of Christ. As we got towards the end of 2020, um, evangelism just was not the same. It was, you couldn't go to the coffee shops. They were closed down. Um, it was hard to meet people in the general just atmosphere. Things were very uh, high anxiety, high pressure, uh, very edgy. Things are still like that a lot more, I think, in Minnesota than it is right now in Kansas. A lot more fear and anxiety just lingering in the air. So at the end of 2020, around November, December, I was uh, out of ideas. I had no good ideas. And so one day, Aaron and I were talking about this, and we were uh, just, I don't know, at a loss. And a few days after that, I got a letter in the mail, and it it was addressed to me. It was from a lady named Maria. And I, I, I was like, I don't know any Maria. I have no idea who this is. So I opened the letter, and it's two or three pages of this woman pleading to find me, saying, I really need to find Alex. I, I don't know where he is. I only have his address. If this is not the right address, will you please forward this to Alex? And here's all my contact information. And so I sat with this letter in my hands, and I just thought, is this real life? Like, is, 
who is this? I have no idea who this is. So I contacted her, and later when she reached back out, I found out that it was uh, a year and a half before she sent that letter. She had come to one Bible study at a coffee shop, and I didn't remember her because she didn't come from the meetup group. She came because a friend invited her. So she was there one time from a friend who invited her, and the only reason she had my address is because she was going to meet her friend at our house for church, uh, but that never ended up happening. And then she lost contact with that friend, so she didn't have my number, she only had my address, and she mailed me this letter. In her letter, she said, I believe God is leading me to you and your church. And I said, I don't know how that that's happening, but I believe you. So a few months later, Maria and her husband Mark, as you saw in the video, and their three girls, they started coming to our congregation, and they've been there ever since. And they've had their own series of trials, and the church has been there for them in the midst of those trials. I believe that basically I sat there and said, God, I have no good ideas. And the Lord said, yes, I know, you don't have any good ideas. Here, (laughs) let me just drop one in your lap. Just a freebie. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. And that's actually uh, one of the really only reliable metrics of progress or success that we've been able to go by. It's hard in ministry. It's hard when working in the church to see a finished product at the end of the day. It's not there. It's a spiritual work. And so one of the things Aaron and I have decided is that if we can see that we have been helpful, if we can see that the church has been helpful to people, then God's will has been done. And we just need to keep doing that. 2021 was uh, an exciting year for us. It's still an exciting year, but the very first Sunday this year, we started off with a baptism, and it was uh, Tara. You saw in the video, Tara was baptized in the beginning of January 2021, and that's actually quite incredible because when we were going through the Gospel of John a year and a half before that, uh, we got to being born again of water and spirit, and so we had a discussion about baptism, and I didn't, I didn't it was, just a, it was just a sermon. I didn't tell anybody to get baptized, and Tara made it known. Uh, she's very honest. She made it known to the whole congregation in the middle of the sermon that she never wants to be baptized. <laughs> so I said, that's your choice. That's fine. You know, this is just, we're discussing theology. We're discussing the Bible. So during 2020, she called me around May, so we're a few months into the lockdown, and she said, hey, I've been thinking uh, more about baptism. And I was like, oh, really? I was like, well, what's, what are you thinking? She said, well, I still don't want to be baptized, but I feel less strongly about it than I did before. <laughs> I said, okay, thank you for the update. I appreciate that. <laughs> and then towards last, the end of last year, I said, hey, remember when you called me and you told me you felt less strongly about baptism? I was like, I'm just curious. There's no pressure. Like, have you thought any more about that? And she said, oh, yeah, actually, I feel really good about that now. I want to be baptized. And, of course, classic problems, right, with uh, how perfect do I have to be before Christ forgives me of my sin, before he makes me a new creation. And the answer is it's not about perfection. It's about loyalty. And she said, well, I'm already committed. I'm already loyal. And I said, well, then you're ready, as far as I can see, biblically. So she was baptized at the beginning of 2021. And, of course, Mark and Maria and their family were joining us uh, shortly after that, and they've been there ever since. Um, 
But then, in the summer, we had a member who we hadn't seen in a very long time. She's not in the video because she hadn't come back yet, but uh, this member's name is Amy, and uh, we love Amy, we care about Amy. Well, she left the church for a while to go live a lifestyle that was not conducive to church. And so after that did not work out, she came back. But when she came back, it was very sincere. And it was very, for me, out of the blue, because we would try to reach out to her, and she wouldn't reach back. But we didn't want to be pushy. So just every now and then, just reaching out, seeing how she's doing. Well, in the summertime, Amy came back, and she came back uh, with a very repentant heart. She came back with prayer and fasting and repentance and her spiritual growth and the things that she's learned through the trials of her poor choices have brought her much closer to Jesus than she was when we previously knew her. I would not have chosen that path for her. I I would not have said, yeah, go down this this path of bad decisions um, and, and that'll end up good for you. But she chose that path, and God used it anyway to turn it around, to bring her closer to himself. And so again, I didn't, uh, the theme here is that I didn't do anything. That's the theme today, by the way. <clears throat> so here's the work that I'm doing in Minnesota. Nothing. I didn't do anything. I've done nothing, but God is working, and he's bringing people either to our congregation or back to our congregation. Another example. Uh, in the middle of 2020, we had that family that you saw up there, Kent and Christy and their four boys. They started coming to our congregation once a month. They go to another church plant uh, three times a month, but they wanted to be with us for encouragement to help us out. So they come on the first Sunday of the month for potluck, and they always bring all the food, and they make the house feel much bigger, and they bring an excitement with them. So we love them. And their oldest son, who was working at Amazon at the time, invited his co-worker named Isaac to our church. And so he came one Sunday, um, very quiet, very reserved, never saw him or heard from him again. So a few months ago, I'm in the kitchen. It's I'm getting ready to, to do the lesson. I'm washing out a cup. And then all of a sudden, this guy walks into my house, just strolls right in. And so I looked over and I said, hello. <laughs> Who are you and why are you in my house? <laughs> And he goes, oh, I'm Isaac. And I was like, Isaac? Oh, <laughs> I was like, did you, did you come here like one time for like an hour a year ago? And he was like, yeah, that's me. I was like, okay. I was like, welcome back to church. <laughs> <laughs> so Isaac came in and uh, he, he hadn't come with that family again. He hadn't, even, he hadn't even heard from that family for almost a whole year. He just decided to show up on his own. Now, I know he has his own story and what brought him there, and we don't have all the details yet. But we do know that since he's been here, he's opened up and he said that basically he was in a, he was in a deep state of depression and isolation, and something moved him to come to our church, to come back to our group. During the lockdown, obviously, we didn't have any coffee shop Bible studies, but this year, those have resumed again, and that's been really good. We've met new people. We've been uh, seeing our regular people just come for more time of fellowship and for study. Uh, the problem right now is not um, the coffee shop being open, but actually there's an employee shortage. So almost all the coffee shops now don't have their lobby open at all because they don't have enough employees 
to keep it open. So we're down to one coffee shop that we know of that we can actually go in and sit down and meet with people. So we'll see what happens, but if you could keep that in your prayers, I think that would be helpful. Where we see the church going in the future is a little bit different than where we would have saw it a few years ago. If you had asked me two years ago, what happens when you fill up the house? I would have said, well, it seems like the model of renting out a space, a school cafeteria, a community room, that seems to be you know, a viable model that works for people. So let's do that. But if you ask me today, I would say, I don't think that's a good plan anymore. <laughs> we saw in 2020 that if you did want to meet as a church uh, in a building, there were about 12 different ways that the, the city and the state could stop that from happening at any moment in time. They could pull zoning laws and not let you park at your building. They could have the landlord change the locks. They could shut off the electricity or the plumbing and utilities to your building. They could just have the police stay at the door, not let you in. They could have the police come and escort you out. There's a lot of ways that they can stop you from meeting. And so we started thinking in terms of resilience. And we thought, well, how would it look then if maybe we did a network of house churches? So what we're thinking about right now is that we'll have a second house church that meets on Sunday at a different time, and I'll preach at both house churches. And the advantage to that is that we found as ourselves as a house church last year that we were completely under the radar. Now, most of the time we were within the law, but sometimes we weren't. But we didn't have neighbors looking in our windows saying, oh, I think there's more than two households in there. Now, that happened in the suburbs, actually. That did happen, and people called each other in. Um, and that is left up to the local authorities in their own temperament of how they deal with that. But it wasn't happening in my neighborhood. My neighborhood is a little afraid of the police. I'm not afraid of the police, but my neighbors are, so it works out in my advantage. <laughs> so we thought, let's try a network of house churches. Now, while we're gone in Kansas, um, this is the third Sunday we've been gone. Every one of those Sundays has still been at our house. Uh, They have the code to the keypad, and they can let themselves in, and Michael and Bethany have been in charge, and they've been running everything, and so everything keeps going. But next Sunday, uh, we still won't be there, but instead of being at our house, the church is going to meet at Michael and Bethany's house. And that's going to be sort of a trial, uh, an experiment, for Bethany and Michael to see if perhaps one day they would be interested in hosting the church in their home. And that's the process, that's the step that we're in right now, is to explore where would we meet if we set up a second meeting on Sundays. Now, through the last two years, there are several learning points that I, uh, I think we could share with you, but I want to narrow it down to just two major learning points. And the first major learning point is that we need the church. Uh, Isolation kills in more ways than one. Uh, We have seen issues that we've dealt directly with, uh, with people regarding sobriety, regarding theft and violence, regarding clinical depression and anxiety, regarding cancer, regarding attempted suicide, and many more issues that are not appropriate to get into right now. And what we've seen through each of those instances is that 
people really do need the church. And the church is supposed to be there for those people. And the second thing, I guess, that goes along with that then is that I've learned not to be afraid uh, to die with Christ. Uh, When the riots broke out in 2020, you know, that started in Minneapolis, right? Right in our backyard. And uh, we could see smoke and we could drive down the street and everything was boarded up. It happened real fast. And there were things that were being done that were not being reported on the news. And by the way, the news did not tell you the truth all the time, right? The news lies? What? Yes. So if I'm going to be honest with you, when that was happening, uh, my flesh, right, my reaction wanted to go out and buy guns because I was afraid. I was afraid for my own safety, for the safety of my family. And I had to really think about that and I had to really pray about it. And I'm not against buying guns, but I was afraid and all that would have changed is that I would have been afraid with guns now. (laughs) And that's not a good way to go buy guns. Because it's not the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is the fear. Where is the fear coming from? And how do we as Christians deal with fear? And part of that fear is a real a real fear of death for yourself, for your loved ones. And through prayer, I believe the Lord was leading me through overcoming that fear, overcoming the fear of death to teach me that I don't have to be afraid to die with Christ. And when you look at the things that Christ went through when he died, it teaches us how to die with him. When he was preparing for his uh, crucifixion for his death. It started in the garden, and he prayed in agony. It says he prayed in such agony that he was sweating as if drops of blood falling to the ground. And I think that's how we need to pray. When trials hit us, when fear hits us, yeah, we should pray with that agony, asking for the Lord's will to be done, not ours. And then Jesus let Pilate take him to the pillar to be scourged. He didn't have to let Pilate take him to the pillar to be scourged, but he did it anyway because he had already prayed over it in agony. Pilate is the governing authority. He's the ruler of that land. And so when I think of Christ letting Pilate take him to the pillar to be scourged, in a way, I'm able to let that fear of some authority or some force greater than myself coming for me, coming for my family, for my kids. I'm able to let that be in the hands of God and to let myself be scourged if they come for me. Let my family be scourged if a greater force than myself comes. Jesus was crowned in a mocking way, right, with a crown of thorns that the soldiers weaved for him, and they put a reed in his hand as a scepter in his right hand, slapped him in the face, said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they threw a scarlet military cloak about him, and they mocked him. But the thing is, is that when the world mocks Christ and when the world mocks Christians, God, through his divine reversal, takes what they mocked him for and turns it into the reality. And so now he is a king, 
And he does have a rod in his right hand, and he rules at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And the nations mock him, but he will shatter them as earthen vessels of clay with his rod of iron. And that day will come. But in the meantime, he let them mock him, and he let them crown them with a crown of thorns. And of course, Jesus carried his own cross. Uh, He did have a moment of help from uh, Simon along the way, but uh, John's gospel doesn't include that part. He emphasizes that, no, Jesus carried his own cross. And I think that was John's reminder to us as Christians that we have to carry our own cross. And if Jesus said that you have to carry your cross daily, and if that was a metaphorical cross, then surely if a literal cross came along, you would absolutely have to bear that as well. If you have to bear the metaphorical cross, you do have to bear the physical cross. And then Jesus, while he was crucified, he gave up his spirit after crying out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I think uh, death will be a very strange thing, and it's okay for that to intimidate you. (laughs) I I don't know what it feels like for... your soul to leave your body, I imagine maybe you'll feel a little naked. But when you say, uh, in that last breath, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, it's a moment of trust where you trust that wherever it is that you need to go next, whatever it is that needs to happen, you are in the hands of God the Father Almighty who loves you. And Jesus, your Lord and Savior, has been united with you in that death. We are already united with him in death through baptism. That's our spiritual death, and we've been reborn. But there will come a day when each of us will have to be united with him in our physical death, just as he passed through physical death, and hope that as he was raised from the grave, so we will be raised from the grave. And so I, I still have not gone out and bought any guns, but it's um, not because I'm against buying guns, it's just because I'm poor and I can't afford any guns. <laughs> but I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid to die. I think, it would be, I think it would be sad. I'm not afraid, though, for my wife to die. I'm not afraid for my children to die. I think that would also be very sad. I would mourn, but I would not be afraid. I think that's going to be important for God's people to come to grips with because there is still a lingering element of fear and anxiety in the air, and maybe it'll go away, or maybe it'll come back with a vengeance. We don't know. But it doesn't matter for the Christian because the Christian is safe and secure in the hands of God. The Christian does not have to fear death of themselves or their loved ones. Pray in agony, yes. Pray as if drops of blood are sweating uh, from, your, from your body down to the ground. But don't be afraid. Use wisdom. Make the choice that's best for you and your family. But please don't be afraid. Not when you're with Christ. There's no reason to fear dying with Christ. The support and encouragement and love that we have gotten from Northside throughout seven years that we've been in Minnesota has made all the difference in who we are as a congregation. The DNA of Northside, that vibe of the family, the church family, that was in me before I went to Minnesota. Uh, This is my home church. I was baptized here when I was 17. I did not grow up in a Christian home, but... I was adopted into this spiritual family, and people here raised me spiritually. 
and prepared me and put in my spiritual DNA what we have put in the Lake Phelan Church of Christ in Minnesota. And so Northside needs to keep doing what Northside does best, and that's being the family of God. Now, tradition has it that if you have any need or uh, if you have any desire to have the elders pray with you, if you have a desire to be baptized, if you have questions, then we always offer that at the end of each service. But this time it's going to be at the back of the auditorium. So if you have a need, go to the back of the auditorium. We're not telling you to get out. We just want you to go to the back. (laughs) Did I get it, Mark? All right. Followed instructions. (laughs) Well, if you have any of those needs, uh, then please go to the back as we stand and sing.